2: everyone and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. So we have a couple questions today. The first one is about getting rid of a pacifier. The second question is about middle of the night disturbances and wake-ups and how to deal with those. So let's get right to the questions. The first question is from Crystal and she says, Hi Erin, my husband and I have been listening to your podcast for a few months now and it's what I listen to exclusively on my drive to work every day as I find it so helpful. I have found so many helpful bits of advice, insights, and tools from your podcast and have tried many and they have changed our household for the better. So thank you for all of your hard work. You're making such a positive impact on the parenting world. I'm writing to you in regards to my two-and-a-half-year-old son and his need for a pacifier during naps and sleep at night. He doesn't need or even ask for it at all during the day. We stopped giving him a pacifier during the day around 10 months old, and he did great with that transition. However, when he goes down to bed, he needs his nuke. We have tried a few times to break the habit. However, it has never lasted more than a few days at a time. We tried having him throw it out in the garbage... And he did so willingly and proudly stated that his pacifier was all gone. When it came time for his nap, he told me that his pacifier was all gone and he went to bed just fine. This lasted about two days. He asked for it occasionally, but then we went over that he threw it in the garbage and that it was all gone. And he would say, okay, and go to bed. After a few days, though, he no longer asked for it. We started to struggle with him not wanting to sleep. We would tuck him into bed for a nap or at bedtime, and he wouldn't cry or whine, but he would continually get up to play and simply refuse to sleep, even if we left him in his room for an hour or so, as if his pacifier was his own version of a sleep aid. At two and a half, he still really needs his nap. So I'm trying to get him to nap. We ended up giving him his nuke back, a clean one that hadn't been in the garbage, of course. And he instantly would fall back asleep. How do we get him to fall asleep and continue to take naps without his pacifier? I don't want him to have to have it forever and cause any issues with his teeth. Is this something he will eventually grow out of? Also, he only needs it to fall asleep, not to stay asleep, so if it falls out in the middle of the night, he will still sleep through the night just fine. I should also note that he's a great sleeper and always has been ever since he was eight weeks old. All we had to do was give him his pacifier, put him in bed while he was awake, and he would fall asleep in a matter of minutes. You're very lucky for that. Um, Anyway, thank you so much for your help and advice, Crystal. So... Crystal, this is a really easy question and probably one of the easiest and quickest answer I've had. So that's good news for me and you. I totally understand your concern and it is a valid one. So you don't want to become overly reliant and you also are concerned about his oral health as far as his teeth are concerned. So there's a lot of good news here. First is that he's easily stopped using it during the waking hours. So that would be the first step. That's great. Second is he's only using it to fall asleep. He's not getting prolonged usage or sucking on the pacifier throughout his sleep periods, the nap and the nighttime. Thirdly, pacifier usage is far preferable to thumb sucking when it comes to the effects on teeth, according to the ADA or the American Dental Association. So It would be kind of a bummer for you guys to get rid of the pacifier and then have him start using his thumb instead, although it sounds like he hasn't really found that as a great substitute. So that's probably good. Maybe he won't do that anyway. Lastly, according to the ADA, they recommend weaning the pacifier by the age of four to prevent issues with teeth. So there's really nothing to be concerned about at two and a half when it comes to the pacifier usage. Yes, it is his sleep association. But I think that's fine as long as you're fine with it. Chances are he will grow out of it on his own. But if not, you have another year and a half. By then, he may no longer even be napping, so that will eliminate the nap time weaning of the pacifier, even if he is still using it for sleep by then. So for now, it's perfectly fine, which is great because it sounds like it just makes life easier for everyone. It's something that he can do, he can take, he can fall asleep on his own, you're not having to sit there and rock him or stay with him while he falls asleep so i think it's fine to keep using the pacifier so long as you feel like that's something that you are okay with doing. The next question is from Renee. This is about nighttime disruptions. And she wrote, hi, I value your podcast and knowledge. Could you give me some advice, please? My three-year-old is constantly getting out of his bed and disrupting the whole house. Sometimes he gets up, walks around at 3 a.m. I'm losing my mind, but really it's not about me. My older kids are exhausted because he keeps waking them up. It's been about a month of this and we all dread nighttime at this point. Prior to this, he was a very good sleeper, help. So I may not be accurate in my understanding, so I'm gonna answer the question in two ways. First, using my assumption based on the information, which is that he's likely sleepwalking. Then also answer it as if he's actually waking up fully and then disrupting the household. Now the reason I'm suspecting sleepwalking is based on the phrase, gets up and walks around, as if there's no real intention behind it. Usually a toddler or any child who wakes up in the middle of the night is either sick, scared from a nightmare, and therefore it goes directly to the parents or they need to get up to use the bathroom. And so they'll do that or go get help from a parent to use the bathroom and go right back to bed. So the fact that it sounds like he's meandering around waking various members in the household clues me in that he's not awake or aware of what he's doing. Sleepwalking is most common between ages of four to eight, but of course it can happen outside of that age range. Here are some signs of sleepwalking. The symptoms are, can be, sitting up in bed and repeating motions, getting up and walking around the house, talking or mumbling during sleep, not responding when spoken to, making clumsy movements, urinating in inappropriate places. Performing routine or repetitive behavior, such as opening and closing doors. So you may be seeing some of those other symptoms or signs as well. Here are a few factors that can contribute to sleepwalking. You wanna consider each of these and see if they are a factor. Fatigue or lack of sleep. So a person who is more fatigued, isn't getting enough sleep, they might be more restless during the night, get up and do that sleepwalking in the middle of the night. Have irregular sleeping habits, going to bed, waking up at different times, that type of thing, maybe different on the weekends than during the week. Any stress or anxiety, think about any changes in the family, changes in school, anything going on that might affect that. Certain medications, including sedatives, stimulants, and antihistamines. You're probably not having this, but just in case if he was prescribed something, antihistamine or something for any um, allergies. Think about that. That could be it, too. And a family history of sleepwalking is also a contributing factor. Now, while it's uncommon, it also can be a symptom of an underlying condition, such as sleep apnea, night terrors, or restless leg syndrome. So if he's a restless sleeper, that could lead, due to these other reasons, that could be leading to sleepwalking. If you do believe it's sleepwalking, first, you want to make sure your sleepwalking child is safe during the episodes in the middle of the night. So you want to be sure to close and lock all doors and windows at night. Install alarms on doors and windows or install locks out of your child's reach. You want to remove items that could be a tripping hazard. Remove sharp and breakable objects from around your child's bed or the path where he likes to walk. Don't want to let your child sleep in a bunk bed. Install safety gates in front of stairs or doorways turn down the temperature on the hot water heater to prevent burns, and keeping keys out of reach. Now, a three-year-old is not likely to grab keys and go out and drive your car off, but adults have been known to do that. Just something to keep in mind. Second, I would get an appointment with your pediatrician, particularly because it's troublesome to the entire family and interrupting others' sleep. Your pediatrician can help you move through the process of getting a diagnosis and working on treatment. If your pediatrician, he or she feels that a sleep study is in order, they will order that and or they'll look for any other underlying conditions, the ones I mentioned above, that could be a contributing cause. Your pediatrician may have you do scheduled awakenings. This is rousing your child around 15 minutes prior to the expected sleepwalking episodes. So you said it's around 3 a.m. So you may, your pediatrician may have you set the clock for 2.45 I know this sucks, but it'll hopefully be a short-term thing. Set the alarm, go in, you'll wake up your child, and this can reset the sleep cycle. If it continues to be a big issue with no findings of underlying causes and no improvements with the scheduled wakings, there are some medications that can be used as a last resort. Now, if this is not a sleepwalking issue, if your toddler is waking up and is fully awake, fully aware of what he's doing, You want to teach him to come to you, to the parents, not anyone else, so that he's not disrupting anyone else's sleep in the house. I don't know how old your other kids are, but if they're comfortable sleeping with their doors closed, something else that kind of can keep them, uh, set some boundaries, keep them a little more separated and have him just come to you when he wakes up in the middle of the night, you can tell him to do that. Then you would just walk him back to bed. Tell him it's bedtime. And that you'll see him in the morning and just lay him back down and go back to your room and set that uh, set that boundary. But I really have a pretty strong feeling it's sleepwalking because it's really unusual for a toddler to get up and just sort of meander around the house and not come directly to the parents because usually if they're awake there's some sort of need that they feel like they need taken care of like I said fear from a nightmare need to use the the bathroom but you know their pajamas and their diapers on that kind of thing now three is pretty early for that but it does happen so those were the things going on I would really think he would come directly to you and if he is waking up you want to direct him to come directly to you not to anyone else and then work in that middle of the night where you're just getting him back to bed and that should go away So to see samples of any of the 50 plus classes in positive discipline, development, health, including sleep and bedtime issues like sleepwalking and other sleep, bedtime, middle of the night issues, education, and modern parenting questions and concerns, you can visit the website at yourvillageonline.com. Now these answers were pretty quick today. So I'm going to give some more tips and I've been combing through my week with my kids to see what I think could be most interesting or insightful or helpful to other parents. And it's funny how almost every week I grow as a person because of my kids, whether I want to or not. And I, you know, I think I've got this gig nailed down, and they throw a curveball at me. Something that I have to rise to the occasion. And two things happened this week. First, with my oldest. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. And just as a reminder, he's 10, he's in fifth grade now. And he's really been struggling with some of the ways his teacher has been dealing with the behavior issues in the classroom. Basically, his teacher was evoking a policy of punishing the entire class for the actions of a few. Every day, he was getting in the car and saying he hated fifth grade. I was working with him on coping with the disappointment on different teacher styles. And we were trying to work our way through that. But last week, he got in the car in tears. The consequences had just been doled out every single day for over a week. They'd increased in their severity, and he was just done. We talked about different options. We threw everything out there. Moving classrooms, talking to the teacher, talking to the principal, even skipping fifth grade. Now, we nixed the skipping fifth grade part pretty quickly. He doesn't want to leave his friends, but also I felt like for his long-term success, I felt that having him testing for SATs and taking AP classes a year earlier would not be the best for his performance in the long run. He's ahead of his learning curve, but he's not so far ahead that where he's just light years ahead where I felt like he was so bored in class that that was really a solid choice where he just, in order to be Intellectually stimulated, that he really needed to move ahead. That's really not the case. He's perfectly happy in his classrooms and learn, and he's still learning plenty. So, in the end, we opted for talking to the teacher. It was both his and my least favorite option, to be honest. He was really nervous, and so was I. I I really don't like having these conversations, but I felt like it was an important lesson for him to learn how to go directly to the person he's struggling with and open a dialogue. And then if that doesn't work, then you go to the next step and try something else. And since he really wanted to stay in his classroom, this really was our best option. So I practiced with him using his I statements. I'm really frustrated because I'm getting punished and I'm late to recess every day because some kids are talking. I'm doing my best to be on my best behavior and sitting quietly and waiting. So we practiced that, and when we got to the meeting, we got it started, and I deferred to him, and he pulled it off without a hitch. But the best part was that his teacher was so receptive. She asked him if he was helping by asking other kids to be quiet. Now, at that point, I stepped in and let her know that he used to do that in his other classes, but then he was the one getting in trouble for talking. Every time he'd tell a kid to be quiet, the teacher would tell him to stop talking, so He's since stopped doing that, and he he chooses to just sit quietly and wait for everyone to get quiet. And the teacher said, you know what? I was always that kid. I was the one asking kids to be quiet and then getting in trouble, so I totally understand. So she was really amazing about that. And then she asked him what he thought would be a better way, and he asked her if she could let some of the kids go that she saw were sitting quietly, and she agreed that that was a really good idea. And that very day, things got better. You know, sometimes, okay, always, I want my life to just flow smoothly and easily. I don't want or need one more thing on my plate, et cetera. But this needed to be taken care of. And in the end, it was relatively simple and easy. And Carter and I both learned and grew from it. He gets to stay in the class with one of his best friends. He gets to keep his little buddy. At his school, they pair the older kids up with younger kids, and his little buddy is a kindergartner named Brandon, and he absolutely loves being Brandon's big buddy. So the thought of changing classrooms and not keeping his little buddy also had him in tears that night. So I'm really happy everything worked out so well. Now, my second growth moment as a parent this week came from my eight-year-old daughter, and it's one that I think fits really well with what I discussed a few weeks ago about the difference between boys and girls. My daughter now is swimming on the swim team along with her big brother, and she too is quite the natural swimmer, and she loves it. So I finally agreed this year to let her keep gymnastics and to also swim. Now, this past weekend was her first USA Swimming sanctioned meet. So it's really kind of the first official meet since she joined the team a month ago. It was an inter-squad meet, which means it was only her their swim team. So because it's smaller, they put all the age groups together. I looked at her heat and she was in with a 12 and two 13-year-old girls. Now, I debated about whether or not to tell her or just let her get up on the block and see if she even noticed. Because growing over the past year or so, she started to get very concerned about what other people think of her, the way she dresses, mostly girls, the way she dresses, that type of thing. And she told me just last week that older girls make her nervous. She's good with girls up to 11 or so, but after like 12 and 13, I think it's the puberty thing. Once they hit puberty, she feels a little inadequate or just nervous around bigger girls like that. So I wasn't sure if I should tell her. So we're standing there behind the block. That's when I looked at the sheet and I was like, "Uh uh-oh. It's almost her heat. She's literally stepping up in the next, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute. All of this is going through my head. I decided it was best to give her a heads up and so I decided to tell her. Her response, which I was afraid would be her response, with fear in her eyes, got tears welling up in her eyes. I'm not doing it, she says. I told her the race was just for her. It's only for her to get a time for the event. And this event was the 50 freestyle. And she was actually racing. I told her she wasn't actually racing against the older girls. I also told her that the older girls love seeing younger girls out there and racing. And I said, when she's an older girl, she's gonna love seeing the littler kids because she'll remember being a younger girl too at the meets. And I said, these older girls love to support you. They're very excited for you. So she put on her brave face. She stepped up to the block. I took a picture of her lined up, three older girls, about two heads taller than her. She looked so little in comparison. And I put the picture up on my Instagram account, actually, at ironmom2020, I-R-O-N, mom2020. I-R-O-N, Mom so if you're curious, you can check that out. Then she did this beautiful dive off the block, legs together, head tucked, really nicely done. And she kept up with those girls for the first 25 yards. Now, by the time she came back to the wall, I was in tears. I was so proud of her for overcoming her fear. When she got out, I told her how proud I was of her. Now, if you've listened to my classes on self-esteem and also heard me talk about internal motivation, I do say not to do that. But I also think that I mention that it's fine to say I'm proud of you in those moments when your child has gone above and beyond, when you really are beaming with pride. And for me, this was one of those moments. I was bubbling over with pride for her. I love sports for kids because it's about so much more than physical fitness. It's really about life. It's about being brave when you don't feel like it. It's about failing and falling short and getting up and dusting off, making a new plan for next time and keep going. And really other things can do the same, whether it's music or chess or other activities where they're pushing themselves in one way or another to improve, to set goals, and learn how to weather a less than perfect game or performance. I want my kids to get that before they leave my nest. It will make handling life's ups and downs so much easier and give them tools for success in all areas. So that's the parenting trials and tribulations from our house this week. Again, to see samples of any of the 50-plus classes in Positive Discipline, Development Health, Education, and Modern Parenting, including Raising Responsible Kids, visit the website at yourvillageonline.com. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.